Well, I want to welcome you today to the last week of our Relationship Rehab message series as we talk about strengthening boundaries in the most important relationships of our lives. And all of us have seen examples of people who live boundaryless lives. In fact, I've seen it happen like this where you go to the grocery store, a young mom or a young dad has gone grocery shopping with small children. Not that this has ever happened in my household. But at the end of the experience, mom or dad is completely worn out because they've been trying to keep little Johnny's fingers out of the ground beef and little Susie from crying over Lucky Charms and then trying to explain why the ingredients in Lucky Charms are disastrous and have all these chemicals that might ruin your life and why we can't have all the chocolate chip cookies that we want. And now mom and dad, is they both are exhausted as they're going through that checkout line. And right at eye level, the strategic marketing team for the grocery store has so perfectly put all of the products that we don't want our children to have. The candy bars, the 99-cent Pez containers that we already have 12 of at home, Reese's Pieces, Skittles bags. And now there's this conversation that follows going through the checkout line. The child wants the object and requests a candy bar. Mom or dad looks back at the little kid and says, no. The child then changes the object that they've requested and adds a please to the conversation. Please, can I have a bag of Skittles? No is the second response. The conversation continues. The child throws in pretty please, then puts in the Pez container. Can I pretty please, pretty please get this Pez container of Mickey Mouse? No, you have 12 of them at home. No, we're going to go home and eat lunch. You, You can't get this stuff. The child then begins to unravel starts to cry, the emotions begin to flare, mom starts to get frustrated because the conversation has already gotten bad, and then eventually the child decides to throw themselves on the floor. After the child throws themselves on the floor, screaming, the security guard walks up, World War III has popped in, and then all of a sudden the parent is there with a choice, what are they going to do? Are they going to give in to the child's fit? and make a decision to reinforce the negative behavior? Or are they going to draw the boundary and look like a horrible, rotten, no good parent? And then what happens? The parent decides to give in to the anger and or to give in to the fit of rage. And mom looks like a horrible mother there. And it's really funny to watch, is it not? If it's not your child. Or if it's not a teenager or if it's not a spouse. And then all of a sudden, we see in our lives so many examples of people who do not understand boundaries because from our family of origin, boundaries were never drawn for us and they were never reinforced. And what we want to talk about in this message is the importance of drawing healthy, life-giving boundaries. That so many of the problems that we face in our relationships can be traced back to a boundary issue. And what we want to do today is develop a biblical paradigm, understanding truth, and knowing how to put boundaries into play in a way that leads to peace and joy in the most important relationships 
in our lives. And if you're taking notes today, it's important on the front end of the message to define what a boundary is all about. A boundary, relationally, is any barrier that's put in place that keeps the bad out and allows the good in. A boundary, relationally, is any barrier that's in place that keeps the bad out and allows the good in. It's like this fence. This fence is a physical boundary that keeps the pit bull out of your front yard. When the neighbor's walking by with their dog and that dog's barking and the kid's behind the fence, the kid's safe because the boundary is there. It keeps the bad out and it allows the good in. The little kid, that which you don't want to be harmed, now is preserved and protected because of the physical boundary. Now, here's the challenge for us. Physical boundaries are much easier to see, understand, and shape. We can build a fence. You probably can. I can't. I don't have very many handyman skills, but I could hire somebody to build a fence. And that boundary keeps the bad out and allows the good in. Relational boundaries, though, are much more difficult to define. They're much harder to understand. And what has helped me and what I think it is very, very applicable for us is to understand how relational boundaries are shaped. Relational boundaries are shaped by what we reward and what we tolerate. Relational boundaries are shaped by what we reward and what we tolerate. Think about the example of the small child at the grocery store. That child has had the negative behavior reinforced if mom gives in and buys the candy bar. If mom draws the line and says, this behavior is not tolerable, when you get home, there's going to be a consequence if you continue to roll on the floor and, and chew on the carpet in front of the cash register. Like this, this behavior is going to have a consequence. So whether or not the parent rewards or tolerates determines if the boundary actually exists. So in every relationship in our lives, we either reward the behaviors that we do or do not want or tolerate the behaviors that we do or do not desire. And our rewarding and tolerating them is shaping the boundaries in our lives. I think that we want healthy boundaries. I think that we desire to have life-giving relationships. But many of us don't know how. We don't have the skills necessary or the proper paradigm that leads to healthy, life-giving boundaries in our relationships. And so today, that's what we want to unpack. We want to talk about how do I put these boundaries in place in all of the relationships in my life? Whether it's a dating relationship for those of you who are single, maybe at our place of work or marriage, maybe it's with a roommate. How do I put these boundaries in place? And we're going to talk about three key steps or three key decisions that we can make that can help us in this process. But first, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture found in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And let me give you a little bit of context of what is going on. A guy by the name of Paul has had an experience where his life has radically been changed by the message of Christ. He had gone from being a Christian killer to now becoming one of the biggest proponents of the message of Christ in the first century. He writes close to one-third of the New Testament. There was this group of people called the Galatians who lived in a city called Galatia, and they started to struggle with their understanding of how to relate to God and how to relate to one another. You see, as followers of Christ, we believe that there's no way we can earn our way back to God. We can't try harder religiously 
And the Galatians, like we often do, were trying to earn God's favor by all of their good deeds. And it was beginning to affect the way that they related to one another. So this letter that comes to the Galatians that we find in the Bible straightens out what it means to understand God's love and relate to him as he desires and relate to one another in a healthy, life-giving way. And that's what this passage in Galatians, Galatians 6 unpacks. Listen to what it says. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you, so that you also might be tempted in the process of restoration. The writer is saying that, that this, that when we help someone who is struggling, there is a possibility that we could end up adopting their struggle. Maybe you've experienced this. Yesterday I was sitting in Starbucks, and I don't know about you, but somehow when I, I'm observing people gossip and slander about someone who's not present, it just makes me so frustrated. I, I was like so tempted to walk up and interrupt their conversation and tell them that they were dysfunctional, but I decided not to do that. Uh, but I'm sitting there observing this conversation unfolding in front of me, and I watched the one person that was gossiping and the other person on the other side of the table that was listening, and then eventually that person started gossiping, and to, together they were devouring a person who wasn't even there. See, one person's bitterness and struggle then became the other person's bitterness and struggle. And Paul is saying that it's, it's possible that when we're trying to help people who are in need, we, en we end up getting so enmeshed into their problem that we can't think clearly and their problem becomes our problem. And then he says this, we should carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. The Apostle Paul uses this very specific and intentional word in this passage. The word is burden. He says that we are to carry one another's burdens, and in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. And burdens, if you're taking notes, are always seasonal struggles that we walk through individually. And those seasonal struggles might be a marriage that's falling apart. It might be a relationship with someone that we're dating uh, and, and that person that we're dating is walking through the loss of a loved one. And, and in the middle of that burden that is seasonal, we end up helping that person out for a specific period of time. That's a burden. The loss of a loved one, a marriage that's falling apart, a, a, a situation that is particularly seasonal. And the Apostle Paul makes this statement. He says, carry each other's burdens for a season of time. And then watch what he says after this. He gives us a different paradigm. He says, If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Now think about this for a second. It almost seems like he's contradicting himself. He uses this one word to carry somebody's burden, but then he comes back and says, but each person should carry his or her own load. And there's something very important as it relates to boundaries that is being unpacked in this passage of Scripture. 
what the writer is saying is that oftentimes we walk through seasons where we have burdens that are too difficult to bear on our own that we need somebody to come and stand up underneath with us. But we must be careful in the middle of carrying somebody else's burden that we don't adopt their load. And that word load is the responsibility that is given to each of us that we are to carry on an ongoing basis for our lives. It's our individual responsibilities. It's that responsibility that a husband or a father has to invest in his marriage and his children. It's the responsibility that those of us who have places of employment, there are specific expectations that are upon us that are our job responsibilities. It's our responsibility for our own emotions and to provide for ourselves financially. What the writer is saying is that we have to be careful to separate burdens and loads and to draw boundaries so that another person carries their own load and we only enter in and engage in to help with their burdens for a season of time. And this is what leads to relational health. This is the mindset that leads to boundaries, which leads to peace, joy, happiness in the most important relationships in our lives. So how do we actually do this is the question. Again, we want that. We want health. We want peace. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes to look in the mirror and says, hello, I'm a dysfunctional person. And today I'm hoping to have as many dysfunctional relationships as possible. We want that peace, joy, and happiness in our relationships, but we don't know how to draw the boundaries. And here's how we do it. And the final time that we have together, if you're taking notes, the beginning of this is to clarify and to communicate what the boundary is, to clarify and communicate the boundaries that we expect to be respected. That's how we begin to move towards having healthy boundaries in our lives. Well, let's give the example of a roommate. Maybe you've had this happen before. I'd I think I was usually the one that violated other people's boundaries in college. But the roommate will go and buy a bunch of groceries. You get the milk, you get the eggs, you got your Rice Krispies, whatever college students eat these days. You put it down in the cupboard. And that roommate, first time, goes and drinks a little bit of milk. And you think something like this to yourself. Okay, I'm a good person. I went to church on Sunday. I should be selfless. I'm not going to be selfish. She can drink the milk. He can drink the milk. It's fine. Well, then it happens again. The second time you get a little bit more frustrated, you start to think things like this to yourself. Why doesn't she pitch in? Why does she never pay for any of the groceries? I'm starting to get a little bit more frustrated and angry. And finally, one time you go into the cupboard and there's no Rice Krispies there because he's eaten the rest of them and you have nothing to eat for breakfast. And what happens next? You walk into the room in a fit of rage and this situation has exploded. That which was a small issue initially has become this great big ordeal because there was no boundary in place. Here's, here's the reality for us. Whenever there is anger, resentment, or frustration that begins to build, anger, resentment, or frustration that begins to build in a relationship, it's a warning sign to us that something is off. It's a warning sign that there is some component of who we are that is being violated that needs to get our attention. Many of us have been taught 
that emotions are all bad. And if we let emotions run our lives, this is true, that emotions can destroy us. But emotions are given to us by God as warning signs to help us understand our hearts more. And so if I find myself in a relationship over and over and over again with resentment and anger and frustration, it's a warning sign that a boundary needs to be clarified. Maybe it's a spouse that continues to come home past when you expect them to come home. Maybe it's a child that never picks up after themselves. Maybe it's somebody that you're dating that is pushing you past that place that you want to go sexually so that you can preserve your virginity for marriage, as the scripture teaches. And there has to be this clarification, both in our minds and in our communication, so that the boundary is understood. I have a boundary with my children. We wrestle, and one of my boundaries is, please don't bite me. I don't want teeth marks on my arms. So the other day, I'm I'm wrestling with my six-year-old son, Cademan, and I feel some enamel going around my uh, tricep. And I'm like, this is, something's not right. That's not like a forehead or an arm. That's teeth on my, on my tricep. And I look at Cademan, I'm like, are you biting me? And he goes, no, I'm just nibbling on you, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's get really clear. No part of your teeth or tongue are to touch any part of my body. Are we clear? He's like, okay, I got it. We, we, we got it. See, many of us are afraid to draw those boundaries and clearly communicate because we have some dysfunctional paradigms that affect us personally. Part of it is that we feel like what is behind the fence is not of great value and worth. So we're not willing to draw this boundary. I think about my boundaries relationally with work. In fact, many of you, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard the rumor about pastor's kids, right? Pastor's kids go in one of two extremes. Either they grow up and they're like my wife and they love the church or they have hatred and frustration and want nothing to do with the church. And I've just made a decision that I'm going to do everything I can within my power to make sure that my kid loves God and loves the church. And I know he's got to make or they've got to make their own decisions when they grow up. But I've created some boundaries to say, uh, I'm going to be home by 530 most evenings. I'm not going to work multiple nights a week. In fact, I hardly ever work in the evenings. Maybe once or twice a month, I'll have an advisory team meeting with some of the leaders at our church very, very, very few occasions where I'll work into the evening because there's a boundary that I've drawn. And many times I'll get somebody that calls and they want to have an appointment and they want me to meet with them after work hours. Like let's meet at six or seven o'clock at night and I'll ask a question. Let's say it's a couple looking for marriage counseling and I'll say, well, are you able to meet with a doctor in the afternoon if you're sick? And the question, the answer is always, yes, I'm able to schedule an appointment at 4.30 for a doctor. And so what you're saying to me then is that your marriage counseling is not as important as your trip to the doctor. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Okay, well then draw the boundary with your work. Don't expect me to suffer because you can't draw boundaries. Now, I'm not bitter or angry. It might sound like I am. I'm just clarifying, hey, There's a boundary that I've put in place because what is behind the fence, the relationship with my wife and kids, is of such great worth that I'm willing to have some people that don't think I'm the best person in the world because I drew a boundary with them. 
also, many times we don't see ourselves as God sees us. We don't see the value that he's placed on the person who's behind the fence. That the scripture says that Christ loved you so much that you were of such significant worth that he would go to a cross and lay down his life and his blood would be spilled out for your forgiveness and my forgiveness. That's how valuable he sees us. He sees us as sons and daughters. Scripture says if we've placed our faith in him, we're adopted as sons and daughters of his. And when we begin to understand the value that he places on us, we're much more willing to draw that line. But also, part of the stinking thinking that so many of us get into with boundaries is we feel like it's selfish to have any boundary in our lives. And so consequently, people run over us. We can't say no to anybody. We feel like anytime we don't do exactly what somebody wants, then we're, not, we're like not being godly or spiritual. But listen, boundaries, friends, are not selfish when they are done in such a way that a boundary is drawn in order to help me do something that God wants me to do. In fact, boundaries in and of themselves are not selfish. Boundaries are necessary for us to live a selfless life. That if we are not protecting and preserving our emotional and spiritual health, if every time a coworker walks into the room and asks us to do a project, we just say, yes, we never draw a boundary, then what is behind the fence becomes emotionally, physically, spiritually unable to give anything to people beyond the fence. And if I can then draw the boundary, clarify it, and communicate it, it preserves my health and gives me greater strength to help the people in my life and around me, the relationships that God has given to me, even especially as I think about our church, that this is so important that we don't get into this sense of obligation and feeling like it's selfish to have some level of boundaries in our lives. So first one, I could go on and on and on and on about this, but we have to first clarify and communicate the boundary. The second one is that we have to reward or reinforce, excuse me, the boundary with consequences and rewards. Reinforce the boundary with consequences and rewards. Listen to this scripture. Hebrews 12, 7 says, Endure hardship. As discipline, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children. You know that feeling when somebody else's kids come over your house and you spend time with them and you just don't feel like it's right to discipline them the same way you would discipline your own kids because they're not your children. But the scripture says we are children. If we're in relationship with God, we're his children and the training that he gives to shape us, the discipline is out of love for our very best. And then it says this, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, disciplined us and for that we respected them. Maybe you had a parent that did not discipline you and you knew you could push that boundary. And what happens when they don't discipline us? We stop respecting them. And then he says this, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The writer is saying this. He's saying that God disciplines us to shape our hearts 
to shape our minds for our good. And later on, after the discipline, our lives are better as a result. Uh, Think about it like this. Uh, Earlier this year, I was driving down the road and I was on my phone and you do this. You've done this before. If you're like me, you take your phone out and you're going back and forth between on the ear and like down here and on the ear and down here, like getting what you need to hear. And then you put it down. So hopefully no cop sees it and it's on your lap. And then you put it up and you got it on speakerphone, but it's not quite loud enough. Sometimes I'll put it on speakerphone and put it like this. I'm like, this is hands free, right? I mean, it's on my shoulders. I'm not touching it with my hands. Well, I start seeing these red and blue flashing lights behind me. And I at first think, well, maybe that's for somebody else. So I kind of move over to the middle lane, hoping he'll pass me. Cops behind me. So I'm I'm like, okay, this is me. I got to go over the side. So he pulls me over to the side. Cop comes up. I'm like seeing him come up through the, the mirror. And as soon as he gets close, I roll down the window. And I'm like, I'm sorry, officer. I've never gotten a ticket in my life. I'm so sorry. Anybody ever done that? Women? I know you do it. I didn't do that. I'm just kidding about that part. But I did say I'm sorry. I apologized. I'm like, please forgive me. I was like, yeah, I was. I was driving down the road on the phone. I didn't have my hand, headset in. And uh, I'm sorry. So officer looks back at me and he's like, you're forgiven, but here's a $150 ticket. (laughs) And you know what happened? I drove away from that experience. And as I drove away, I thought twice about texting or talking on my phone without a headset in. And maybe that consequence saved my life or somebody else's life. Could you imagine if the cop just every time they pulled somebody over, they're like, oh, that's fine. I mean, I know you're sorry. You feel bad about it. Just please don't text anymore on the road. What are you going to do next time you're on the road? You're like writing your little hashtags and texting and doing your deal on the phone because we know that there wouldn't be a consequence for us. See, consequences reinforce the behavior. And when we're drawing a boundary, if we tell someone, we clarify it, but there is no consequence for them, for that choice, then it now becomes our issue and we inadvertently end up taking their load back upon ourselves versus if we drew the boundary and we clarified it and we said to someone, if this behavior continues, there are going to be consequences for you. I heard it like this. There was a single person. They had a roommate. And every time it would be the moment when they were supposed to leave and go to a party or go to class, the other roommate would not be ready to go. So the person who was ready was suffering the consequence for the person who was not ready. And so finally that roommate went back and said, hey, listen, next time it's the time to go. If you're not ready, I'm going to walk out the door and leave you and you're going to suffer the consequences for not being ready. Well, the roommate did it. And about two or three times later, she got the point. She was ready when the roommate was ready to leave. See, that consequence was an appropriate consequence. Even though the first time she did it, she told the roommate, you're horrible. I can't believe you'd leave me. I can't believe you'd make me drive by myself. I can't believe you'd make me walk on and on and on and on. Eventually, she got it. And she's like, oh, this was my choice. And I'm the one who put myself in this predicament. If I don't want to be in this predicament again, I need to change. She got it. It was her load. Uh, Maybe it's a spouse that is continuing to be late and you expect them to be home by a certain time. Maybe eventually you say something like this. Okay, 
We've clarified, this is the boundary, this is the time you're supposed to come home. If you're not home by this time, here's what's going to happen. You're going to eat the cold dinner, you're going to eat cold dinner, and I'm going to serve the food to our kids warm, and I'm not going to wait them, make them wait until 7.30 p.m. until you get home to eat dinner. So it's your choice. If you want to get home late, you suffer the consequences. Eventually, they're going to get the clue, and they're going to make the choice. Either I want to eat the warm dinner and get home on time, or I'm going to eat cold dinner and show up at 7.30, 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. See, with any boundary, we have to get creative to put people's load back on them. It's like people sometimes have a monkey on their back and they want to walk up to you and be like, here, take care of my monkey. And you're like, no, that's your monkey. You take care of your monkey. That's your load. You carry your load. And this is what the consequences will be. I'll help you if you have a seasonal burden and I'll help you till you can get your feet back on the ground. But in the process, I'm not going to take your load and then, in essence, become unhealthy emotionally, spiritually, physically myself. We have to reinforce with consequences and rewards. We could talk about that for hours, this whole subject. We could go on and on and on because we all have scenarios that we're dealing with. But lastly, I want to say this to you. Some of us, after trying over and over and over and over again, and having consequences over and over and over again, we'll find ourselves in abusive situations, physically, sexually, and emotionally, that we've said this is the boundary line. This is how far this choice can come. And there comes a point where we have to remove ourselves from the situation. And the third point is this, to step out of the situation whether it's a physical abuse, emotional abuse, or sexual abuse. And today, at the end of our service, we have some prayer counselors that are available to pray with you, to talk through this. And we have actually a resource to give to you. And I would encourage you, if you feel like you are in an abusive situation, I want to ask you to let someone know so that we can help you as a church process that, get your feet back on the ground, and get healthy. If you have a spouse that is physically harming you or physically harming your children or you have a friend or someone you're dating that is sexually harming you, it is not okay. And there is no reason that you need to continue to expose yourself to physical harm. It might be calling the police. It might be taking the kids to a parent's house and removing them from the situation. It might be letting us as a church know so that we can find a place to get you on your feet. Now, don't hear me saying this. Don't hear me saying that the first time you have difficulty in a relationship, it's time to tuck tail and run. The first time your marriage gets to the rocks, it's time to call it quits. I think that these cases are the exception. They're very, very few and far between. But I think that it has to be addressed that there is a time where we've worked with somebody who is just so unhealthy emotionally, physically, spiritually, sexually that they're continuing to put their load on us and it is abusing us. And that is the time that we need to seek help. Today we're available to help you in our prayer center and talk through and help you get professional help to move towards healing in your relationships. And friends, I, I want us today as we scan our lives and we think about marriage, as we think about dating, as we think about our places of work, with fresh eyes to be reminded of the importance of drawing boundaries and to feel freedom that it is healthy and it is okay to say this is a boundary, this relationship is not working, it's preventing me 
from being able to live the life that God is asking me to live. And so consequently, I'm going to draw this boundary and say to you, this is how far the behavior or the relationship can come. Could you imagine the difference that this would make in all areas of our life if we were willing to draw these kind of boundaries to reinforce them with consequences in our marriage and dating and our place of work today? What is the one relationship in your life that there has been a violation of boundaries? I want you to get that one relationship in your mind that anger, resentment, or frustration has been building inside of you. And I want to challenge you to take time today to go home, maybe it's in your notes, somewhere in a journal, on a piece of paper, to write down what is the boundary that is being violated and clarify it. And then in the next week to have a conversation with that person to clearly say, this is the boundary that we're going to put into place in our relationship, our marriage, our dating relationship, our place of work, to say it, to speak it into existence, and then to be willing to draw the line and reinforce it with consequences. And I believe that this step would lead to such a difference in marriages, in dating, at our places of work, and even for us as a whole, as a church, if we were to do this one choice of putting boundaries in place in our lives and letting God give us the strength to protect our health emotionally, physically, spiritually, sexually, all components of our lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you today that in this room, and people at all different places in the journey, that you are faithful to give us the wisdom that we need to put boundaries in place. And I pray that you would help us process these truths to know, God, how to actually, with wisdom, apply what it is that you're asking us to apply. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.